hello, very warm. Welcome to A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is a live broadcast dedicated to your questions on God's Word, the Bible. That's right, your questions as they come on in live, and we delve into God's Word to find the answers. That's what we're all about. So we're glad you're joining us today, and we welcome your questions as we go along in the show. My name is Dave Robson. I'll be hosting and fielding your questions today. And with us today in the studio, Pastor Sean Richards. How are you doing today? Good. Uh, those of you who don't know, I met Dave's dog, Phoebe, for the first time yesterday. Right. And uh, it was a real interesting situation because when I got home, I found out in my neighborhood that uh, another dog was chasing around people on a bicycle. And I didn't even know dogs could ride bikes. <laughs> <laughs> Neither did I. Neither did I. <laughs> and I'm still so you not, learn something new every I'm still day. not convinced. <laughs> 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 also with us, I don't know what, that'll be our first question. I don't know what to say to that at all. Also with us today, uh, Senior Pastor Scott Richards here at Calvary Christian Fellowship. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. I've got a, uh, a brand new, uh, allegedly virus-free computer in front of me. And Hopefully. Thank you for all the running around you did to make that possible. You bet. Uh, just uh, one other uh, thing I wanted to add before we go anywhere on the show is that um, one of the reasons that motivated this, uh, taking the computer down and getting it, uh, hosed out, if you will, is, uh, there has been a, uh, a email that's been sent out allegedly from me asking people to buy gift cards for the staff. Now, if you look carefully at the uh, email address, there's like another letter and it added to the end of it, mm -hmm. but, um, someone apparently was able to hack into, uh, my address file and uh, send this out. So if you've gotten a uh, uh, email from me uh, asking you to uh, buy gift cards, anytime you get an e email asking you to buy gift cards, uh, <laughs> especially gift cards for a Nigerian prince, you should probably yes. put that into uh, the, the uh, trash dumpster. But if you've got that, uh, our apologies, we've done what we can to Shore up the defenses, but that was a completely fraudulent request. Yeah. We don't ask for money on this broadcast, and I certainly don't ask people for money online. Yeah. I knew it was fake when it said you wanted gift cards to give to your diligent staff, and you don't really have oh. diligent staff. So yeah. Well, that was, that was the kicker that was right the there. Giveaway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually got a text right before the, the show from someone saying, hey, are you aware of this email? And thank them yeah for, for so that, just yeah. wanted to take a moment on the broadcast to give you the heads up it's not for me yeah absolutely and it's veterans day today as well and um thank you for your service to those who um, are serving or have served thank you and god bless you today for your service uh to to our country here um so allow me to let you know how you can join us on the broadcast there are multiple ways if you listen to us on the radio you are listening to our previous show uh pre-recorded but you can send your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope, all spelled out, at gmail.com, and we will get to your question on the next show. But on our other platforms, we are as live as can be. A Reason for Hope is a ministry, an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. So you can find us at our website there at calvarychristianfellowship.com. Follow the Watch Live tab or on Facebook at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. We have an app as well you can download on your mobile device, also on Roku and Apple TV as well. So look for Calvary Christian Fellowship in all those places. On YouTube, the channel is called A Reason for Hope. That's our YouTube channel. We have a, an ongoing technical problem with YouTube where the show kind of starts late. And yesterday, I believe it cut off as well. So 
we're working on that as we speak. Um, so jump onto one of those other platforms if you experience an issue with that. Our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com, is a good home base for you. You can follow Pastor Scott on Twitter as well at Scott R4H. That's Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. And he posts highlights from the show and snarky snippets and uh, commentary on Prophecy world. updates. Prophecy updates. Just follow him and you'll find out what he does. That's the best way to, to go about it. Um, so again, you can jump around on those platforms if you're having issues and send your questions in on the chat function. There's no dumb question as long as you know we delve into the Bible to find those answers. So um, questions on God's word, Christian living, world events from a biblical perspective, any honest question, you're welcome to send those in. I recommend you get in early. We'd love to get to all your questions today. So all that being said, I think I covered it all. Pastor Scott, would you like to pray for us as we delve in? I would absolutely love to do that. Uh, we can always do more than pray, but we can't do anything more of significance until we pray. That's Amen. our motto around here. So Lord, thank you for being with us. Thank you for uh, being the uh, unseen fourth guest here at this uh, panel. We pray, Father, that we would honor you uh, and your word. We pray that Jesus would be uh, glorified in everything that is said and done, not just in the things we say, but even the attitude in which we say them. Uh, we pray, Father, that uh, the people that you're gathering to be a part of the broadcast here today would be built up and edified, encouraged, comforted, uh, filled with your spirit and filled with the uh, joy of walking according to your word as we explore it together. Uh, Lord, uh, we take our hands off of things. We just ask you now to be the one that sets the agenda for all of the truth of your word that we discuss in the next few minutes. Uh, fill us uh, with your power, your spirit, your word, and may you be glorified as a result. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, Pastor Scott, you often have a uh, sort of prophecy updates or some update on world events. Is there anything you'd like to share with us today? Yeah, there's a, a couple of things, sort of the aftermath of elections and then a very uh, uh, intriguing story uh, that ran in the Jerusalem Post uh, earlier today. Uh, one of the uh, the uh, stories that is sort of being downplayed a bit, well, maybe depending upon where you get uh, your media information, is uh, not just the fact that the uh, election that was considered to be a red wave, maybe even some see, see it as a red tsunami, uh, that is that the Republicans were going to clean house in this election, turned out to kind of be a fizzle. In fact, here in Arizona, we're still trying to figure out uh, by our notoriously uh, slow ballot counting uh, who has won the uh, election for governor, who is going to be our next U.S. senator, who's going to be the uh, secretary of state, who's going to be uh, the attorney general. Uh, and uh, it, it apparently uh, these uh, totals aren't going to be available for us. There's not going to be any resolution until next week at the earliest. So that, that's been gathering a lot of attention. But um, it, another very disconcerting trend uh, as far as I was concerned is the fact that uh, being pro-abortion uh, did very, very well on the ballots in this last election, so much so a, uh, in Montana, a ballot initiative was rejected that would have protected a baby that was born as a result of an abortion. In other words, it would have made it Montana law uh, that uh, the uh, doctors and the uh, nursing staff would provide every resource possible to save the life of this child if they survive an abortion. And this does happen from time to time. Uh, the, the fact of the matter is this bill went down not just to defeat, but a fairly resounding defeat uh, in a, a state like Montana, 
that uh, that uh, really, uh, by most lights, fairly uh, conservative uh, state. Abortion is legal in Montana up to 24 weeks, uh, which is generally considered the uh, point of fetal viability, as was defined by Roe versus Wade. Uh, the state Supreme Court blocked restrictions passed last year in a Republican-controlled legislature and previously held the state's constitutional right to privacy protects access to abortion. But the idea that a law that would mandate uh, life-saving health care to a child that survived abortion was rejected pretty soundly by voters there uh, tells me something uh, about the uh, state of things uh, in this country. Uh, other Pro-abortion initiatives did very, very well in Michigan, in uh, California, and in Kentucky. Uh, And uh, the the, the reason I bring this up from a prophetic point of view is I think it dovetails a bit into a question uh, that we get uh, from time to time about where is the United States in biblical prophecy? I mean, we do see some nation states uh, very specifically laid out as having a role in the last days and the end times, but the United States is simply not mentioned. Uh, Well, there's another story that may have something to do with all of this. Uh, In the Jerusalem Post, uh, we are told that uh, a uh, U.S. admiral, who is part of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, U.S. Strategic Command Head Admiral Charles Richard, warned in a speech at the Naval Submarine League's 2002 annual symposium and update an industry update uh, that uh, he said this, the Ukraine crisis that we're in right now, this is just a warm-up. The big one is coming, and it isn't going to be very long before we're going to be tested in ways we haven't been tested in a long time. As I assess our level of deterrence against China, for instance, the ship is slowly sinking. Uh, He goes on to talk about how uh, China is uh, really going pedal to the metal as far as developing its nuclear capabilities in a way that outstrips United States technology in a lot of crucial areas as far as nuclear weaponry is concerned. Russia certainly isn't backing off uh, in terms of keeping uh, their nuclear uh, weapons capability at the ready. Uh, But the United States, quite a bit of our nuclear technology is in a sense aging out. Uh, it has uh, not really been upgraded uh, in really any significant way for around 15, 20 years or so. And so uh, the admiral, and you can take this with a grain of salt because admirals do like uh, making statements like this because he gets them money to develop new weapon systems and so on. But uh, the fact that he would make such a uh, bold declaration has certainly raised eyebrows, and uh, it is uh, certainly a, uh, a story that is uh, gaining some traction in, uh, in news uh, forums across the world. So what does this have to do with our question about where's the United States in biblical prophecy? Well, that question uh, gets asked. In a sense, we have to answer it uh, coming from uh, a uh, argument from silence because the United States is specifically not mentioned. Some people would try to mm-hmm. fold, spindle, and mutilate, uh, say, uh, Revelation 18, uh, the idea of commercial Babylon, as being the United States, someone even tried to identify it as being New York City, but I think that's really, really tenuous at best. Uh, it's always better to uh, take Babylon to mean Babylon when we see it in the Word, unless there's some compelling reason not to uh, see it in that light. But, uh, you know, the United States not being mentioned there, where are we? Well, uh, we were to take a look at uh, the trend 
that um, U.S. Strategic Command Head Admiral Charles Richard speaks of today. Uh, there are those who believe that the United States may be taken out, taken out before the last days, before uh, the time of the tribulation, and some kind of limited uh, exchange, a nim- limited nuclear war, something that would absolutely devastate the country. And Joel Rosenberg, our good friend, wrote a uh, fictional novel based upon that thesis that the United States and North Korea would get into some kind of a nuclear exchange and would end up damaging us and making us a minor player uh, and uh, would uh, crease the skids for the Antichrist takeover. Uh, some people think that's a possibility. We, we simply don't know. Uh, the fact that the United States is uh, losing uh, its uh, strategic edge as far as technology is concerned is uh, nothing compared to the fact that we are also uh, losing uh, our uh, edge as far as military readiness is concerned. Uh, the uh, uh, the uh, requirements of, uh, of uh, enlisting uh, new recruits are consistently falling below uh, quotas, and uh, there are individuals because of, say, woke uh, philosophies that are being promoted in the military, uh, the big controversy about uh, making the vaccine mandatory for everybody in the military has certainly uh, cut out a portion of the uh, population that would sign up to be a part of the U.S. military. So that weakening of the United States as the 800-pound military gorilla, the world's policeman, if you will, might be a trend that we are seeing here. Uh, I think, though, the other thing that is very interesting is the, uh, the moral decay in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, uh, if you're on Twitter or, you know, or expose the news, uh, we know that uh, we've gotten to a place where it's actually a controversial subject as to whether bringing uh, drag queen shows into public schools is appropriate or not. Uh, that's where we are today. If you told me that this would even be an issue 10 years ago, I would have uh, really right. been very skeptical about all of this. And, and the list of things goes on obviously. You know, we take a look at elections, and I think it was de Tocqueville who once said that uh, nations tend to get the kind of leaders they deserve. Uh, And uh, the fact of the matter is, most people in this country uh, are not adhering any longer to a uh, biblical framework as far as how they look at the world, as far as how they make moral decisions, as far as how they make personal decisions. And I think some of these things like the Montana decision are, and uh, Kentucky and, and some of these other, uh, Michigan, the other uh, uh, things that, that have happened are an, an indicator of all of this. Uh, you know, as we've said, if you're a born-again believer in Christ and have a biblical worldview, it is very, very difficult for me to see how anyone with that worldview could be in favor of abortion on demand or as it's uh, presented now in California, Abortion up to the ninth month of uh, pregnancy is completely appropriate uh, as far as uh, the laws there are concerned. You know, the Bible makes it very clear that life uh, begins at conception. Psalm 139 speaks to that. Uh, We've spoken before, Sean, you and I have discussed uh, how uh, in the book of Luke, uh, when uh, Jesus and uh, John the Baptist's mothers meet, that the uh, children inside seem to have some kind of spiritual connection already, and they are in utero. So uh, there's uh, really no way that a Bible-believing Christian could uh, take a look at pre-born life as being anything different from post-born life. And uh, when we see how Jesus had an incredible priority as far as letting little children come to him, 
uh, speaking about those who stumble little children. Uh, it'd be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and be tossed into the sea. Very passionate statement on Jesus' part. Uh, our uh, culture is definitely moving away from all of that. And uh, when we move away from a biblical framework, one of the things that we've seen, and, and certainly Israel and their history with God has been indicative of this, is that when a nation says to God in biblical principles, we don't want you uh, around anymore, God, ever being the gentleman, will say, well, fine, then you're on your own. Go ahead. Uh, you can sing America, America, God shed his grace on thee. But if you turn your back on the God who sheds the grace, uh, the grace is going to come to an end, and the United States is going to end up reaping what it sows. It grieves me as someone that was raised to be a patriotic uh, American who saluted the flag every uh, before every class period all the way through high school to say things like this. But uh, you know that seems to be the way the tide is going. So what does that mean for us as believers? I, I would say the, the number one priority is this. Uh, although I believe that we as believers, and we talked about this in light of the election, should have uh, an informed and biblically based view of the kind of candidates that we support in a representative form of government like the one we're in. God has given us this franchise to vote, and I believe that he expects us to take that seriously, and we'll be given a, an account to him someday for how we did that. And that's key, because even if you adopt the similar jaded view that more and more people are justified in holding that the outcome of the elections don't matter at this point, you'll still answer to God for how you used what was put in front of you, whether it amounts to nothing or not, your character in standing before God and how you choose to use what was even seemingly, deceptively put in front of you will matter more in eternity. Yeah, you know, it's interesting how um, I've seen in some of the interactions that we have on Twitter that uh, even in some uh, very solidly uh, Bible-believing precincts, you know, rock hard on the inerrancy and authority of God's Word, there seems to be almost like an Amishness that is mm -hmm. creeping in, like saying, you know, oh, we just need to be separated from the world and we just really don't need to be interacting and all these things. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the, the Scripture says that we are to be good citizens. Uh, you know, I, I think of the instructions in Jeremiah 29 to the individuals that were going to be in exile in Babylon. They said, how are we supposed to live? And God said, no, just settle down, mm -hmm. you know, work to the benefit of the place that you're in, because as you do, you're going to be blessed and taken care of. 70 years, your descendants are going to come back. But uh, even though you're outside of God's covenant nation, uh, you should do your best to be a blessing to whatever nation I send it to. And that, to me, is, is, uh, is a uh, uh, scriptural priority. I think we should follow. And, and having said that point in Romans 13, as well as in First uh, Peter, where they noted that we're to honor the arbiters that are put in authority over us wherever we are. Yeah, and but uh, but the bottom line is this. Yeah, I, I think we do need to vote, and we even though there's huge doubts now about the validity of voting and mm -hmm. and uh, whether uh, these things are all jury rigged or both sides are playing for the same team. Very well, may be. I mean, if we are at the late hour that I believe that we are in prophetically, um, these things have to happen. A one world government uh, has to be uh, put into place. And we may be seeing the grease, the skids greased in that direction uh, in, in this day and age. Nothing we can do about that. But here's what we can do. Uh, we are like the Titanic that has already hit the iceberg. It's mm -hmm. going down. But God has called us as believers to be part of a rescue team. 
uh, to reach out to people with the love, the truth uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ and the message of being saved from this wicked generation, perverse generation, Simon Peter put it in uh, Acts chapter 2. It literally means one that is uh, crooked and bent out of shape. Uh, we don't have to go down with the ship. You don't have to go down with the ship. You can give your life to Jesus. Uh, you can be ready for eternity. Uh, we kind of know things have to go that way. I don't think we should fall into fatalism because we don't know the day or hour of the Lord's return. Mm. But if we want to be prepared when Jesus comes, what better thing can we do than to make sure our hearts aren't growing cold as far as loving people is concerned, our commitment to God's truth isn't being eroded away and compromised and, and uh, an attempt at uh, a peace treaty uh, with secularism isn't being pursued by us. But even more importantly, you know, pray and look for opportunities to be able to share God's hope in this hopeless world. I think that's a really, really important priority for us these days. Mm, very so, good. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, we have a question came in on our email talking of, of uh, you mentioned moral decay. A uh, question from, from Ronald here. Hey, Ronald, thank you for your question. Sent our email address at questionsforhope at gmail.com. Uh, the question is um, uh, about transsexual and intersexual children. Um, well, there is a difference. He, he says, I strive to love the Lord, our God, with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, and as much as possible, we are to be, become all things to all people, to share the gospel with humility and kindness. The question, I've been in conversations with relatives of transsexual and intersexual children who have been asked to put away pictures of those children before their transition and refer to them in accordance with their parents' wishes. Uh, the worldly view would be to go along to get along or become defiant, therefore risking visitation with the child. Um, basically, the, the question is, I think the, over, the underlying question is, how do we... What's our approach and how do we deal with, especially family members who um, decide to go maybe with a, you know, another, another you know, alternative lifestyle or sexual orientation or even these days with uh, transsexual children? How is he to approach that family member? What is his response? Is it to cut them off? Is it to remain, keep that relationship open? How does, uh, what is his approach towards his family and how does he deal with that? He says as well, they're, they're saying that well, basically God made a mistake with the child, so the child needs surgery to put that right and those kind of yeah. woke ideas, yeah. you know? Yeah, sure. Um, what is that approach? I, I think of, well, we had a family in the church here who had a son who, who um, went you know, into a homosexual lifestyle. I think of them as well in, in dealing with that. That's their son. They want to love him. They want to love him the right way. How do they respond to that? Yeah, you know, and, those and kind a, of uh, a daughter that had uh, gender reassignment surgery. Right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. and I mean, we can, we can use the example in our own household since it directly affects me. I think I can share it with permission. I'll ask myself in a minute. Um, when you discovered that I was struggling with pornography, a form of sexual morality, and when you discovered that I was cutting myself, I was doing things to my body that was causing harm, and of course, not in alignment with what God would want me to do. Right. Would you, in noting me, in not one but two areas of sin, we could note in a sexual lifestyle or in a reassignment surgery that wasn't necessary, all of these things noting when I was in those areas of sin, and as I am still struggling in those areas of sin, you speaking as the parent, did you love me any less, love me any differently, 
compromise or alter your positions and attitudes towards self-mutilation or uh, the viewing of internet pornography? And how did that look applied to me? Well, uh, first of all, nothing changed. Uh, you know, God called us to be your parents and uh, my wife and I uh, made the commitment that we were going to do that and that we were going to do that in a way that loved you, but again, gave you what I believe the most loving thing that a person in that situation needs, some stability and a sense of biblical direction that we weren't going to compromise on that could help you in turn deal with your issues. And so in doing that, you don't deny the fact there are people who tell themselves, well, it's loving to affirm this person where they're at, lest I already uh, inflict more harm on them than what's due, given their unstable state or perception of themselves and others. Yet it is more loving to remind me of truth, even at the expense of my current emotional state, because time might change that perception. The work of the Holy Spirit might work these struggles out of my mind and heart in time. And so the point being made is this. When we're essentially forced into a corner through words, terms, and definitions that we, A, don't acknowledge, and B, that they don't even properly explain half the time, the real issue in this, um, to the individual who left the question, it was Ronald, is when they start arguing, again, the world's going to be the world, they're going to make up their own rules, they're going to live by their own playbook, and that's one that changes every single day. But if on the other hand they're to say, and this was mentioned in the email, no, God supports this ideology, they're emboldened even by that. Those are the questions that we'd want to answer and clarify, because again, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 notes that if you're not to keep company with sexually immoral people, if there is a physical distancing between families. This is the threat and the caricature of all Christian families and how they treat their kids or how they sell their sob stories online, when the reality is Paul is addressing that, whether they're doing it or not, it's relevant to people who aren't of the faith, as opposed to those who are of the faith, who are to be judged in that way. Yeah, and that's the key issue, isn't it? Right. Um, you know, when someone uses the term God these days, well, <laughs> let's let's define our terms. Uh, we can't assume that everybody is singing off the same sheet of music any longer because, you know, for some people, God is, you know, the earth. Uh, God is the force from Star Wars. God is, you know, you've had some interactions online with people that have a multiplicity of gods, uh, neo-paganism. Uh, is rising again. You know, you have, uh, you know, again, witchcraft, all these different things like that that are uh, doing land office business. Some people worship the heavens, just like Old Testament times. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so when someone says, God must have done this, you know, to me at that point, Ronald, uh, I think it is a good thing to start asking questions, not necessarily to be bringing out the uh, rebuking stick, but simply asking questions. You know, my dear uh, departed dad, uh, who was an attorney, taught us about the Socratic method early on. And the Socratic method basically is arriving at truth by asking questions. And boy, when you ask questions, you get people having to think. You know, for instance, when someone, Ronald, uh, you, you mentioned them the idea that, uh, that God made a mistake 
or that God would not want this person to be unhappy. Mm. And, and, you know, maybe at that point, uh, it would be a good thing just to say, well, you know, it's interesting, you know, you, you mentioned God. Um, who in your understanding is God? Uh, and, and why do you understand him in that way? What, what, you know, what, uh, what God uh, would, for instance, be in favor of a uh, permanent surgery done to a child mm-hmm. before the age of majority, before they are able to make decisions for themselves, um, what God would be in favor of something like that? And, and just let them answer the, the, the questions. Um, you know, the, the important thing, and, and you alluded to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, is this. In verse 9 we read, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you'd need to go out of this world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who's sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what do I have to do with judging those who also are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from you the evil person. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a couple things here. Some people, and I've even seen some pastors online say, oh, we need to apologize to the world because we as Christians have, have tried to put forth uh, you know, our form of morality uh, on, on those who are non-Christians and, uh, oh, we, we just really owe you an apology, you know, sorry for putting our Christian trip on you. And they'll point to this passage as justification of that. But, whoa, wait a minute. What's that last line here? But those who are outside, God, God judges. judges. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to be a loving person, if I'm a Bible-believing person and I am walking in love, and I see somebody going down a pathway, that not only is going to, in a temporal sense, lead them to a place where the bridge is out. It's going to lead to nothing but but misery and 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 difficulties later on. I probably need to say something about that. But that's nothing compared to uh, the fact that you know don't be deceived. Galatians chapter six and verse seven says, "God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap." Um, there's going to come a judgment day. There is going to come a reckoning. And we are going to have to give a, an answer to God for the way that we lived our lives. And if you want to continue down a path of rejecting God's truth and essentially saying, God, take your standards and go fly a kite, uh, you can do that. But it's not a loving thing for me to go, oh, yeah, that's great. Whatever floats your boat. You know, I think I think things are gonna get pretty rough for them after they depart this world, but at least they'll think I'm a nice person between now and then. And that's kind of the rub. Um, you know, my narcissism, if you will, my desire to have the whole world be pleasant for me can overwhelm my need to tell people the truth. And when we talk about the truth, well, what makes your truth better and some of that? It's not my truth. You know, we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about what he taught. We're talking about the fact that uh, the truth we find in the Bible is ratified by nothing less than Jesus' resurrection from the dead. So 
if I know that Jesus rose from the dead and I know that his word is true, but it means more to me to keep the peace Mm -hmm. than to speak the truth in love or to warn people going forward, that to me is probably one of the most horribly selfish things I think I could ever do as a human being. Which is what leads us to the fork in the road, because what was the defining detail in how you treated me and my struggle with self-harm and pornography and someone who didn't know the Lord? Because there's one detail we left out. How did you find out that I was hurting myself? Did you discover me in the process, or did I come to you? You had to come to me. I didn't have to. I chose to. Why? Because someone else was also working in my heart. I recognized there was something standing between me and Jesus that was getting out of control, and I wanted to seek accountability through people whose spiritual walk with God I respected. Not just you, but Bo and Peter and plenty of other people in the church. Right. So there's the difference, there's the line. Someone who can be treated in a note of restoration as opposed to correction, or both. Yeah. But the goal is, you are to shore up my relationship with Jesus. On the other hand, when Paul's addressing the two audiences in 1 Corinthians 5, what does the person who's outside, who's in the world need before any Christian morality is even adge- uh, addressed to them? They need Jesus. Yeah, they need a relationship They are with standing God. in yeah. judgment before God, not because they're transgender or intersexual, not because they are a part of the woke movement or they vote Democrat, because they are under the wrath of God and are in need of a Savior. That should always be our first priority. Yeah. With that, then, in case, we can start dealing with the secondary issues. But then comes the other stat. What gives you the right, the ability, the goal to say that it is more loving to tell someone to at least hold off on the surgery, any permanent decisions, than to affirm them in what they believe will actually alleviate their mental distress? Well, we have growing testimonies more and more. I'm holding up a book for those listening on Reach Radio, written by Walt Martin, or Walt Hare, rather, who's uh, a former transgender. He had gone through with the surgery, and interestingly right. enough, didn't help. And we're finding more and more people coming out on social media who, by the way, are being censored, which is uh, how you know that something's probably true. People in power don't want it to get out. But saying that I've gone through the surgery and now I'm just full of regret. Women who have taken these hormones and realizing I'll never be able to have children, I'll never be able to get a date. I've destroyed my future and people are in line with this, thinking it's virtuous to destroy lives. Now note, That's their opinion, but aren't we supposed to recognize the shared experiences, critical race theory, of the people who are actually going through that kind of struggle? Why do you silence those voices and only affirm the ones that are in favor of it, and by the way, who haven't gone through with it? The more and more we're going to understand and have the evidence to support what we're already claiming, this isn't a solution. It's a distraction, to be sure, but it is one with permanent consequences, and that regret does nothing to change, and this is a statistical fact, the suicide rate that's higher than even Holocaust survivors. These people deserve our prayer, these people deserve the gospel, but they don't deserve the sort of affirmation and coddling that is only going to lead them down a path that is already leading to death anyway. So if you're talking to someone in your family, first make sure they understand the gospel, that the Holy Spirit's there. Then, with that being said, note our experiences with any struggle of sexual morality or the desire to hurt yourself, whether it's at the hand of a surgeon or yourself, the point being made is this. That is what needs to be the line in difference. Either they have the gospel or they need it. Any other step beyond that is going to do them maybe some temporal distraction, but no eternal good. And that's our highest priority. Mm. Yeah.
I think that's good. Very good, yeah. Ronald, thank you for that question, a great question, and praying for you as you navigate that. Certainly a very difficult situation to walk through, so we hope that helped to equip you and kind of give you that focus yeah, and, and please, that approach. Please, uh, if your family members or the individuals you're interacting with have arguments saying that, oh, God affirms this, and they give you chapter and verse, share them with us because mm. that's the stuff we want to answer. Yeah, 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 we can be part of that ongoing, certainly. Yeah, and and uh, again, we'll be praying for that situation. Yeah, we wanted to let you know. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, a question from Casey. Casey, glad you're out there joining us tonight. Uh, good evening. She says, I was briefly listening to a program about healing over damaged emotions and have some questions, please. Are there examples in the Bible of false or bad guilt when someone would feel guilty and they really shouldn't? And also when people don't feel guilt when they should? Is it because God hasn't given them the ability to, or is it a person's own hardness? Thank you. Well, certainly the latter. Well, I think the fundamental issue is 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 understanding the nature of our emotions. Yeah. God has given us the capacity to be able to experience emotions because it's part and parcel of what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, God demonstrates his emotions in all kinds of ways, everything from joy to anger and mourning and sorrow. And we see this represented most clearly in the life and ministry of our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Guilt, the ability to feel guilty, is a reflection. It's almost a turned-around aspect of the fact that we have a, a capacity to feel what I call indignation. That is, we have an emotional reaction to when we see justice not being done. Now, guilt is when that emotion is turned inward, if you will. We look at our own lives, we see a moral standard, uh, we see how our interactions with other people have uh, had impact, and we feel badly about these things. Now, that is a God-given gift in that uh, it's almost like the reflex that we have. We put our hand on a hot stove. God gives us the reflex to be able to pull away from all that because he sees that something we are doing is damaging. The problem with the, with guilt and feeling guilt is that the more, you know, initially when we feel guilt, we feel it very strongly. And uh, sometimes I call it the myth of the lightning bolt. We think God's really going to get us mm -hmm. and uh, we're waiting for the other shoe to drop. And then some people will look around and go, whoa, you know, nothing really happened. So they do it again, and maybe next time they don't feel quite so guilty. And if you keep it up, you can end up with uh, something the Apostle Paul said would be characteristic of false teachers in the last days. Consciences seared as with a hot iron. Uh, if we no longer have a functioning conscience, we won't feel guilt. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the the siren song of our culture is that you should never feel guilty about anything. Uh, you know, guilt, you know, stinks and, and mm. so on. You see the bumper right. stickers and things like that. But guilt is really God's way of keeping us from really making wreck and ruin of our lives. Having said that, having defined it in that way, is there true guilt and is there false guilt? Well, I think, can you think of an example of uh, true guilt in Scripture, Sean? Maybe David's prayer for repentance in Psalm 51 after murdering Uriah the Hittite to cover up his adulterous affair with his wife Bathsheba and then 
concealing it from the world for a year, describing himself as his bones becoming like you know dry and empty and hollow within him. And this, interestingly enough, not being a bad thing, not a shameful thing. In fact, it was used to bring him back to fellowship with God. So when we ask the question, is this has already been answered, but the point being made of guilt, the awareness that you've done something wrong as something to be ashamed of or avoided? No, in fact, that's one of the evidences the Holy Spirit's within you. Because if you didn't have the Spirit within you and you sinned, you wouldn't care. Yeah. But for some reason, there's this conflict within you, Paul describes in Romans chapter 7, where you suddenly understand the things, your former manner of life, he calls it, as being contrary to the way you ought to be living. If you can get over that, then I say repent because you're heading in a very dangerous direction. If on the other hand, we take a step back and ask the question, oh, but what about people who felt bad when they shouldn't? Look, I'm always the one to empathize with people who deceive themselves into thinking that they're you know, in a state of separation from God when the reality is I'll never leave you and forsake you, but it's very dangerous, especially given the narrative the world puts around it, to say, I shouldn't feel guilty. You should say, what should I do with this guilt? As you said, our emotions are just our emotions. Are they leading you to God or away from him? If you feel guilty, you're made aware of something that's wrong in your life, first understand what is wrong in my life. Is there some distance between me and Jesus, and how do I restore that fellowship and deal with it? Confess your sins, pray for one another, forgiving one another, as Jesus Christ not only forgave you, but you also must do. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's Colossians 3 and 1 John 1. But the point being made is centered around that. There is a proper way to respond to quote-unquote bad guilt if such a thing exists. There is also a way to respond to good guilt because such a thing does exist, and it's the same answer. If on the other hand we'd say, no, guilt is bad, that's the unbiblical position. Well, I shouldn't feel guilty. Yes, you should, we are. But if on the other hand we'd say, what am I guilty about? Oh, well, everything. That's probably not true. But pursue Jesus in response to it, and I think if the enemy is using that to distract you from biblical truths, that God's forsaken me or whatever, then you can answer that the same way that you would with good guilt and realizing I need to deal with this before God. That I think is the best way to juggle those emotions. Don't fall into the mantra of this is bad guilt. No, this is pointing me to Jesus or it's not. That should be our response to our emotions. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, the idea of, uh, of bad guilt, if you will, in the book of Hebrews, it talks about the sacrificial system where people would sin and they would bring an animal into the temple and essentially it would be laid down on the altar, tied down. Uh, the uh, priest would then have the person lay their hands on that particular sacrifice, literally lean on it as if to say, this should be me, and then the sacrifice would be uh, killed right before their very eyes. Uh, you go through that, it's a very vivid picture of a solidly biblical principle. The wages of sin is death. But in the book of Hebrews, it it talks about the fact that uh, Jesus took away our guilt when he died on the cross. And and the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10 talks about uh, the idea that if the sacrifices that were offered in the temple could cleanse the conscience of those who offered them, they wouldn't have to come back again and again 
and again and make these same kind of offerings for sin. So I think this is really where bad guilt comes in, Casey. Mm-hmm. If my guilt, and I've run into people who say such things, uh, says to me, uh, you know, I, I'm so far not even God can save me. Mm-hmm. I am so guilty and I am so unworthy, not even God's love can reach me. Or, oh, I just feel I just blow it and I blow it and I blow it and I feel so bad about it. God doesn't love me anymore. That's bad guilt. Yeah, condemnation, right? Yeah, there's a big difference between conviction Mm. and condemnation. Mm. Uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Does that mean there's no correction? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5 says, my son, do not uh, detest the chastening of the Lord, nor let your heart... Uh, you know, faint when you're corrected by him. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, even as a father the son in whom his heart delights. Yeah, God's going to point out sin in our lives. Mm-hmm. But the difference between condemnation and, and conviction is subtle, but it's very important to understand. Conviction says, you've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. Condemnation says, no, you are wrong you will always be wrong, mm-hmm. and you might as well go eat dirt and die. Mm-hmm. That's condemnation. Any, any guilt that we experience that moves me toward God, like David in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, you know, I acknowledge my sin to you, I confess mm-hmm. my transgressions to you, you forgave the guilt of all my transgressions. Therefore, let everyone who is godly call upon you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, uh, they shall not come near him. And he goes on. But the last part of that psalm is really interesting. God says, I will teach you and train you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like the horse or mule whose trappings include bit and bridle to keep them in check, but they won't come near you. Uh, you know, Here we see that difference being emphasized. Conviction is God saying, come here, we've got to deal with this, and maybe dealing with this isn't going to be super pleasant. Uh, The old, this hurts me more than it hurts you thing that we always swore up and down, we never say (laughs) to our kids until we said it to our kids. Um, But but the, the other side of it is if we look at that and kind of like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, know we've sinned and hightail it off for the bushes and try to cover up with fig leaves, well, then that's not good guilt. But it's the same emotion, if you will, mm. like all emotions. It ain't the emotion, it's what you do with it that right. tells the story. Yeah, yeah, very good. Yeah. Great question, Casey. Hope that helps you out. A uh, question from Yari in Nehemiah. Say it like Donald Trump, Sean. Nehemiah. Thank you. <laughs> it's luxurious. It, <laughs> <laughs> it's like having a little toy to play with. Just yeah. pull the string. Yeah. In Nehemiah, I was wondering, can someone explain the meaning of the gates, uh, the fish gate, the pearl gate, etc.? I'm confused. Is there is there symbolism to the kind of gate? Yeah, apparently he uh, heard from a prosperity teacher that the pearl gate was made from pearls and the fish gate was made from fish. Um, Not the best material, maybe. Yeah, uh, Nehemiah 3.3 3 was their proof text. This is what it says. Also, the sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and hung its doors with bolts and bars. That's it. Now, if we want to understand the significance of these gates being rebuilt, the significance of it is these gates, and I'm not being smarmy at this at all, is because they were part of the wall. Now, the significance of the wall being rebuilt 
which is the whole point for right. why the book of Nehemiah was written, was because it would set the, t- the countdown clock, basically, for when Messiah would be walking through one of those gates. In the book of Daniel, chapters nine, or chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, we're told that Israel's plan for, as far as their relationship with God was concerned, interestingly enough, would mirror the amount of years that they had been in the land up until that point, 490 years, the time that they had been in the land to the exile, then Daniel's told, when you come back to the land, 490 years, until every promise that I've made to you is going to be fulfilled. Now, these 490 years wouldn't be in a row. The last seven years we're waiting for to be fulfilled. That's what we call the, the first 483 were, but yeah. And the 483 yeah. years yeah. would begin at what time? When Jerusalem's wall would be rebuilt, and it's what? Gates, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, we see the names of these gates uh, you know, I, you know, the, I guess having had some exposure to the faith movement growing up, there's part of me that goes, you know, there's a good intention here in that, you know, we want to obviously take a look at God's word seriously. We don't want to just brush things over. But when we're dealing with a historical book like Nehemiah, we see the names of the gates. Well, the names of the gates basically were functional more than anything else. The fish gate was one that by and large, the fish merchants that would come from the Mediterranean and the uh, area around Galilee, they would bring them to the fish markets that were located nearby. It wasn't because a gate was made out of fish. And Uh, it wasn't always describing what they sold there. For example, the lion's gate wasn't a circus. No, (laughs) But, but again, they would have different meanings based upon certain features, certain uh, things that were accessible through that particular, the Damascus gate, if you will, uh, was kind of like, uh, you know, you see Ajo Road. Well, if you keep going on Ajo Road long enough, you'll end up in Ajo, that sort of thing. Uh, And and so when some people will come to this, they go, well, there's got to be more to it than that. Mm. Why? Sometimes (laughs) there's not. Mm. Sometimes we're just getting an observation historically uh, culturally, geographically, uh, about the way the things were laid out. Now, when we get into the book of Revelation and we see the city being described, then I would say there's deep symbolic meaning to virtually everything that's involved there, yeah. but it and, also, and, and it's intended to be so. And it's also yeah. literal yeah. that goes on to say the gate was made of one pearl. I yeah. don't think that's not literal. I do note there is significance to pearls in scripture, but yeah. the point being made is that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I give people uh, an A for effort, if you will, <laughs> that they want to find, you know, truth in, you know, every aspect uh, of the Bible, but sometimes you've got to not read into the Bible. That's mm-hmm. the danger. Uh, you got to read out of the Bible. You got to ask yourself, what kind of literature am I reading here? Mm-hmm. People ask me the question, you don't take the Bible literally, do you? Well, as a piece of literature, how else am I supposed to take it? Uh, and so I look at Nehemiah and I go, okay, what kind of literature is this? This is historical narrative. And so when we see things like the description of the gates in Nehemiah, you're getting the description of the gates and the names of these gates and the people who rebuilt these gates, which was a huge undertaking. Uh, and uh, I think it's wonderful that God you know, commemorated and, and uh, trans, uh, transmitted down through time the individuals who literally put their lives and families on the line to build these gates. Mm. Now, that, there's a great biblical principle. You mm. know, greater love has no man than this and to lay down his life for his friends. Those things I think you can see there. But if we start pushing it 
too far, and we say there's some kind of spiritual, there was a, a school uh, of biblical interpretation that arose oh, roughly about the second century called the allegorical school, where you would get these people who would say, well, you know, there's a plain meaning in scripture, but then there's the deeper hidden spiritual mm. meaning in scripture. And sometimes you will get a deeper spiritual meaning, yeah. but the Bible's really good about telling you that that's what's coming. Yeah. You know, in the book of Revelation, one of the things that we discovered uh, was this, when you're dealing with symbols and signs, uh, you know, the Bible's really good about saying, I saw a great sign in the heavens, you know, or, you know, let me explain to you what the meaning of this that you saw was. You know, if there is no explanation, it's because it's already been explained. When the two witnesses show up, it says these are the two olive branches that stand before the throne of God. They're not saying, oh, so two trees sprouted up in Jerusalem during the beginning of the first half of the tribulation. No, it's a reference to Zechariah where it mentions two human beings, but with the intent and purpose already described to you. Conversely, though, some of the judgments that we see described there are very literal. You know, again, Revelation chapter 6 talks about uh, God, in a sense, uh, taking his hand of protection away from planet Earth and mm-hmm. uh, the planet being bombarded by a meteor storm where people are trying to find refuge in the caves and the rocks and uh, and, and so on. I think that's very literal. And uh, using the same language yeah. as Exodus and the plagues that took place there. And unless you're going to make coleslaw out of the Torah, I don't recommend that, you should take Revelation the same way. Yeah. So, you know, again, um, good on them. Uh, Yari for wanting to get the most possible out of God's word, mm-hmm. but we've got to rightly divide the word of truth. That literally means to cut it straight, the Apostle Paul says. Mm-hmm. You know, let the word speak to us. Let's not try to read something into it that's not there. Yeah, very good, very good. We have a few minutes left here of the, the show. What a great uh, hour it's been. A uh, question from Leah. This is um, very apt for today, being Veterans Day. Should Christians celebrate Veterans Day or America? Or is this pagan and shouldn't be celebrated it's a good question i mean yeah well representing america and being patriotic and those kind of things yeah and there, there's a lot of controversy about christian nationalism these days yeah. is the united states a christian nation and and i i've seen some people discussing online uh, earlier today whether you know they said well you know jesus was definitely not into wars and armies but you know i guess we can thank our veterans anyway well first of all i <laughs> not saying Jesus is into wars and armies, read Revelation 19. You're going to see that in the proper place, in the proper time, Jesus is very interested in war and army. In righteousness, he judges and makes war. Or just go to the Gospel of Luke where John the Baptist, endorsed by Jesus, by the way, kind of associated with him directly, made a very straightforward observation where he could have condemned soldiers for what they were as a foreign government, as an actual pagan government, and in the service to pagan ideals. The soldiers said, what should we do in light of his call to bear fruit worthy of repentance, to prepare your hearts for the coming of the Messiah? And Roman soldiers were interested. They said, what should we do? And what did he say? Quit your pagan soldiering. Yeah. And, and you celebrators of pagan paganism, um, <laughs> he said not to intimidate anybody and be content with your wages. No condemnation of soldiers when he had the first opportunity, and no example given in Scripture of condemnations of soldiers for soldiering. In fact, the first non-Jewish person, in the book of Acts at least, to come to salvation as a direct correction and rebuke to the apostle Peter was a centurion. 
a sergeant major, <laughs> essentially, yeah. Yeah. a guy in charge of 100 soldiers. So, and again, she goes on to note her source for these things. First, check the source that you're hearing these things from, because the moment that people say that's pagan, red flag should go up because 98% of the time that's false. But if on the other hand, they'd say, oh, and if you do celebrate this, you've taken the mark of the beast. Put that in circular file 13 because they have officially revealed themselves a false prophet going off of sensationalism and misrepresenting scripture in order to get attention, not to actually present the word of God. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when people will say things like that, and it, it almost sounds ultra spiritual, <clears throat> you know, uh, we're able to live in this country and be at peace and share the gospel because mm -hmm. people literally laid down their lives for that. Um, our nation would be very, very different if everyone's like, well, okay, Hitler's doing some mean things over there, but we're so spiritual, we're not going to do anything about it. Mm. Uh, you know, when you see things on the Holocaust, boy, you, you realize, yeah, there is a time where evil needs to be opposed and even violently. Mm. So, yeah. So that being said, again, thank you for your service, those veterans, those serving, Absolutely. or have served. God bless you. Uh, that's the end of our show. Thank you for your questions. Great questions today. <laughs> wow. It zips on by, <laughs> doesn't it? It does. It's all over the place. Uh, have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back on Monday. If you're looking for somewhere to fellowship in the Tucson, Arizona area, Calvary Christian Fellowship, we'd love to have you. Uh, but if not, enjoy fellowshipping with your, your home church. And again, we'll see you back here on Monday, same time, same place. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.